welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now, here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Bill Rogers, President and Chairman at Orbita. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, Bill, what I always like to do before getting into the main part of uh, the discussion is give my guest a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So, Bill, the floor is yours. Thank you. You know, my my background is uh, very much involved in artificial intelligence been involved in doing that since my career started at MIT Lincoln Labs and I uh, got into healthcare back on around 1997 when I worked with uh, Dr. Kavadar at um, Mass General Boston doing uh, medicine and you really can see how the things are starting to come together to really have an effect in healthcare. So what first got you over into healthcare then? Um, you know, understand, and I suspect that some of the listeners might be familiar with that name of Dr. Kvadar because I know he's been very big in kind of the telemedicine sphere and uh, you know, has always been very vocal about the power of technology. Yeah, before that, before being involved in telemedicine, I was actually uh, uh, involved in, a, in uh, working in video conferencing. It was a startup company that grew up out of, out of New Hampshire that um, was building these video conferencing systems. And one of the areas that we had um, an opportunity to work on was working in healthcare. And ultimately we started, uh, I started another business with another uh, person to allow us to create a solution to interact with uh, uh, patients remotely. And that's how we get involved with working with Dr. Cabrera. We started, uh, how would we do like remote dermatology? Yeah, no, that's actually a pretty fascinating time to get into the intersection of technology and healthcare. Because it's, you know, I, I would wonder how you struggle with maybe some of the privacy or security issues. Since, you know, if you're talking about, it sounds like the 96, 97 timeframe, that's yeah. as HIPAA got enacted. Yeah. And people are kind of learning what that meant. And it, I think it kind of underscores that technology is definitely not new for healthcare, despite, you know, I think some of the focal points recently where it's, you know, HIPAA was enacted and they had no clue that these technologies existed. Yeah. So it's interesting um, at that particular time. So there's really two things we did with Dr. Data. One was this remote dermatology project where we were capturing images remotely, bringing them into a workstation where he would actually look at the images and make interpretations of whether or not do we need to see or not see that patient. He, he saw all the patients as part of the clinical trial. And then the second one, which was more interesting, was the concept, um, it was open heart surgery patients where they were actually going to get heart transplants. And we built a telemedicine remote patient monitoring solution where we would actually take their blood pressure, their heart rate, their weight, and actually it was with a PDA. The iPhones didn't exist. And so it was an RS-232 cable that was going to an analog telephone and it would make the call. So it it would wake up every day and ask the patient, I need to take this information, capture this information. And so we would do it. Um, So, but even at that time, security was 
very, very important that we were collecting and storing the data. It was a, you know, probably, uh, <laughs> we were using Lotus Notes, believe it or not, as the workstations at the time. You haven't probably heard much about these days. <laughs> It, so kind of given that start, how have you seen you know technology evolve or you know and become more sophisticated uh, in, in supporting healthcare? So you know when you when you think about that time, the power of what you see in a mobile phone is so dramatically different. You know, the fact that you have a camera for video that you can actually talk to it and interact with it that are you know before, we, you know, in the early times, the only thing that we really could do was we could literally capture things like the weight and the blood pressure. We could ask a question and get a text response, but somebody would have to type in the text re uh, response to the user. But today, there's so many biomarkers with the devices that we're using that it changes the game. And I think when you think about what more recently has just happened with OpenAI, the fact that you are now can really help educate the patient in ways that was really never possible before. And you really can understand what the patient is saying so you can actually route the patient to the right form of care, which wasn't really possible uh, or was possible, but was very difficult to go do um, just months ago. And so you just referenced OpenAI and, you know, kind of in your the intro when you're talking about your background, you talked about artificial intelligence. Yeah, so I think before we really go down that rabbit hole, it would probably be helpful to start off by just framing out, you know, when you're talking about artificial intelligence or working on it, what does it actually mean to you? Yeah. So what ultimately what I see with artificial intelligence is that think of think if you went and called a a health system and you're 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 talking to a person and that person is guiding you to to do something so what artificial intelligence does in healthcare is ultimately helping you with that workflow but instead of a person doing it it's you know ultimately you're being guided by a virtual assistant and so that virtual assistant can be thought of as intelligent as a person at some point. They're not, they're, they're not even with ChatGPT, they're not as intelligent as a person, but it's the next best thing to it. And so if you look at healthcare, the concept of engagement is key for people to get better care. Education is key to get better care to for, for a patient. So I look at it as that way, but you know, even with artificial intelligence, with with um, think about your send, you're getting, you're working with your insurance company, and the somebody is interacting with a, a, a document. Now that document needs to get routed someplace. Like you ask for some sort of approval process. Well, before. Or it would require a human to go look at that. But with OpenAI, you can actually understand the document, understand how to go route this. Now, we, uh, you know, we're using things like PyTorch, uh, uh, the ability to build these models. PyTorch is what actually OpenAI is built on, but it's, it allows you to build models to go do this. But we would need to get training data. That training data would probably be thousands of these documents to go figure out how I'm going to route it. 
But with, now with ChatGPT, or I would say GPT, because we're using the APIs, not the, the product, you, you literally can just give it the prompt to, to explain what you're trying to do with this document and have it come back with a response that's going to help you route the document to a different place, which is, is essentially a game changer. And, you know, uh, with artificial intelligence, you're ultimately unlocking the information that exists today in all of the information that healthcare systems have. And so I'm not, and so we can, we can get into that a little bit uh, deeper when, when you're ready to write really exciting with what you can do now with GPT around that. Yeah, I'd say let's take that opportunity to dive into it because it's, you know, as you're saying, and hopefully I'm going to interpret this correctly, with the new GPT system that has launched, it sounds like you don't need the same you know, degree or trove of data or availability of information to train it. So how, and if that was accurate, why is that the case? So it's, it's, it's the case because you're actually building on top of a model that was trained with such massive amount of data. And basically, you know, it, it's this, it's ultimately this huge neural network, right? That's, that has been developed and been trained and all of the parameters have been tweaked and weighted so that they can figure out the next thing to go and do. And so ultimately, it gives you the ability to create this intelligent logic that the only way you could have done it before was to have all your own data. And so basically, they've eliminated the need to have all the data that you used to before. Now, there's, there's little kind of techniques that you can do uh, to help train open AI. There's another technique that we use all the time that's around in-context learning uh, that will ultimately use the, your organization's content as the source and not rely on open AI, which takes out the bias. And it actually, you know, you, don't, you can be confident that the content that is generating is, is accurate because it's based on your content, not on what the model has learned across the world, the internet, books, and everything else. Yeah, so then is it an accurate summary? I think you just said that the GPT itself was already trained on a large pool of data. And it's really you're kind of taking those building blocks and then kind of refining it and deploying or implementing it as you as, as you choose for the particular solution that you might be then building. And I think, as you said, you can further train it based on a more restricted set of data or information based on the environment you deployed in? Exactly. So let me give you an, an example. So Orbita created something called Survey AI. And so because we do voice surveys, when, when you ask a question and you tell people, here are the options to the, to the question, people don't answer, answer it with the options. And so the AI needs to understand where in the human language is the appropriate answer and what did the utterance of what the user said? And we do this mathematical mapping, it's called embeddings, to vector math. So the matrix math that you learned in linear algebra that you learned, that's what all AI is based on. So that, uh, that mathematics says, oh, it's, the, it's closest to this answer. So if let's say the results were um, not at all, somewhat, 
uh, all the time, and somebody says, it doesn't happen with me, we would say, did you mean not at all? And it's a lot easier for a patient to answer the question by saying yes, than it is to say, I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you said, and repeat the answers. And, and the person thinks, oh, this is a dumb system. It, uh, you know, a human would have understood that. And again, that's what artificial intelligence is, is having something that can act like a human to be able to determine that. So that that project probably required us to do so much training on that. It was probably about eight or nine months of training to get that to work. And truth be told, you can do it with ChatGPT out of the box. So you, you literally can say, of these options, which one is the closest to? And it's going to tell you the closest answer. And as good as all of the training that we have actually given it over, over months and months and months of effort for us to go do that same sort of thing. An another thing that it's really, really good at is summarization. You know, so um, you can give it a block of content and say, summarize this to a, um, a non-healthcare professional, like a, a patient, and it'll, it'll actually summarize it in a way that a patient can understand it. And so this is going to be, so where I see this working currently is that when you respond to a patient, doctors are actually going to take the clinical results, summarize it with open AI, and then with, with that, they're going to look at it and review it, and they're going to then send it to the patient with probably no edits necessary to do it. But it is going to require that super, supervision at this time, um, because when it when you just when you just um, say summarize, you want to just make sure that it, it didn't do something um, that you weren't expecting. And so those parameters that you you tweak in OpenAI, like temperature, we usually set the temperature to zero, and zero is is basically telling OpenAI to be very deterministic about how you're going to respond to something. So when we're a lot of the stuff that we're doing now is the concept of in context. So like think of a look, let's say a WebMD website. I if if you pull all that content from WebMD, index it in what we would call a vector database, which you know is integrated into our platform, those are embeddings. And so those embeddings have the meaning of what's in the content. And then the person says, how do I treat COPD? It's going to go to the vector database and say, go get me the closest content that understands how to treat COPD. It's going to find that content, and then we're going to take that content and we're going to say to, to OpenAI again, embedding this comes from OpenAI. So it finds the content of the vector database, and then it summarizes how to treat COPD based on the content itself. So we say to it, um, answer the question based on the content that we give you. And if you can't answer it, say, I don't know, based on this content. What that does is that it, it really causes it to use your content as opposed to the vast body of content that it was trained on. So it's... So in healthcare, that's going to be a, a very common approach uh, to be using this um, is think of, you know, today, honestly, if you went to almost every health system in the world and you typed in 
what are visiting hours, um, you're, you're not going to get an answer that you're expecting from search. But if you literally, we have a scraping tool that will scrape an entire website and you ask OpenAI that question, it's going to find the nearest meaning that matches. That's, it's, it's incredible um, about finding these meanings. And so the, your accuracy of your first result is uh, not only is it going to give you the first result, but it's actually going to, in that document that it gets, it knows to get the specific piece of content that answers the question that you just asked. And it'll do it deterministically because it's based on your content. Yeah, no, and I think that's kind of a key point that you're raising, which is defining the content. Yeah. And for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Bill Rogers of Orbitum. We're talking about artificial intelligence and GPT and you know the power of newer technologies. And kind of you know, picking up on that last point about the defining the content that's being used. Is that a way to help combat the potential for inaccuracies or misinformation filtering into the kind of the output response to a question that's asked? Yeah, 100%. It, it ultimately eliminates also the bias, too, that could be in content. Because, again, when you're when OpenAI has trained all its data, so all of its data is based on data based from 2021. So if you just asked it a question like, when should I get a colonoscopy? It's going to tell you when you're 50 years old. But the, the, data, the data has changed since 1921, where you know it's 45 years old right now is what the accepted number is. But if we were working with a health system like Ohio Gastro, and you ask that question, we, using, we would use their content and it would come back with the right response to that particular answer. So is it challenging or complicated to limit kind of the, the scope of the information that the system is accessing to, to answer those questions? Yeah, so you, you have access to it. So, you know, honestly, ChatGPT is the answer to conversational AI. So the, so the, Big problem with a, like a conversational AI solution like what Orbit had, question and answer was the number one thing people would use it for. But you would always have to create the the, the responses in a in a in a way that's acceptable to a chatbot, which is actually hard. It's because you have to create like when we're like um, Hope, which is Cancer Care of America, they have a, a cancer questions and answers that are about seven hundred questions and answers around cancer that's using our protocol uh, orbit answers. But literally, if you went to their website and you see the massive amount of content, instead of 900 questions and answers that we should be able to answer, it should be 50,000. And that's what OpenAI does. It doesn't care about the limit of the documents of the content. And literally in minutes to hours, we can ingest their entire website and make something that can answer questions and answers around their cancer content. And, and so it's not going to be limited to what do people say we should do. And like once you say, I need to go summarize that, I need to go get a someone to go say, okay, how are we going to summarize this so that it works well in a chatbot? Where OpenAI does a fantastic job of finding the content that answers the question and, and with that deterministic approach, it you basically, you find the document, 
And this is why I say it's you're unlocking information. A lot of times you'll look at the client and say, I don't know where it is. And then you actually search through it and you find, oh, it's actually in this block content. And, you know, I, I joke with our, uh, we have a person that does policies and procedures for security. We have another person uh, that's HR that does policies and procedures and benefits and stuff like that. And the reality is everyone just contacts Brian or Micah and asks the question, what, what's the answer to this? Because it's too hard to find the information. But now, ingesting these things and making it so that people can ask questions. So you can imagine in healthcare where you have these procedures. And one of the important things about this concept of in context is that not only does it give you the answer, but it gives you a link to where it found the content. So you always have the reference to dig deeper into the content by you can you can ask more questions or you can just click on the article to find more about it and a lot of people just wouldn't find the information if it, if it wasn't for this type of technology so i guess coming from that understanding you know what do you see as you know currently the most impactful or effective use cases um, for GPT and kind of the technology you can build from it in healthcare right now? So um, so what I think is going to be something that's going to be moving very quickly, I think everyone's going to start thinking about how do I allow people to understand something about it? So chatbots on healthcare websites are going to become way more popular because they're going to be way more useful. And so, and I think Today, there's a there's a sense of avoiding chatbots because it has a limited amount of information today, and they're just like, eh, I'm just going to try to search. Um, whereas this changes the game. You, the most accurate place to get the content is going to be asking a question and getting exactly the content back that you are hoping to get and a link back to where that content actually is. So I, I see that. I see intranets. I, that in organizations for uh, their HR policies, their IT policies, and and help IT help desk. You know, you think about call centers. One, it's going to reduce people going to the call center. But when when a when a person is in a live agent and they're interacting with a live agent, and the person says something. We literally, as they give us something, can go and say, "What's the context of this conversation?" We got all the documents that you use to train the agent. We ingested that into ChatGPT, so we can we can literally help the agent answer the question. So now you help the person answer the question. They might have went back and forth with a few questions and answers. We have a transcript. So now with that transcript, instead of asking the agent to write what was this about, we just have open AI look at the transcript, ingest it, answer the questions. I mean, some, say summarize what, what this conversation was. Now we want, the, we want the agent to become smarter. We say to OpenAI, how would the agent have done a better job on, on this, for this conversation? So that's the, the, the next piece of that too as well. 
I think that's very interesting. As you said, it's, you know, kind of, it sounds like it really helps to drive efficiency and, you know, improve quality because it's filtering through all this information and providing, sounds like probably real-time feedback that can then inform, you know, the next interaction, or even if I think you're even saying inform the current interaction because it's, you know, helping to feed the correct information to the hands of people involved in a discussion. Correct. And I, and I, I, and I then when you look at summarization in the future and other places that it could ultimately be used in, into another area is like your lab results. So when you get something to summarize that result, like again, today, I think, that summary is going to need to have someone look at it. But as time goes on, when we get to 5.0 and 6.0, at some time, a point, they're going to just say, this is actually as accurate as the person that's trying to review the content uh, out there. Uh, so I think you're going to see that that's going to be some big, pretty big game changers. And I, what you see in this marketplace right now, if you look at the the AI guys and what they're very excited about OpenAI is that they can do this training, like you're gonna see a 4.0 or 4.1 or 4.2 very quickly. So in other words, they've been testing with adding data on particular areas of subjects and with a small amount of data seeing that the model improves a, a lot, which means that they can invest more to say, now let's go put more into this and improve the model in a particular area. Um, so I think you'll see that occurring as well. And kind of as that progress and development occurs, you know, are there any cautionary points or areas where attention should be paid to make sure that um, mm -hmm. you, you know, implementation or deployment isn't being rushed too quickly? Well, I, I think that one of the cautionary points right at this moment is that you know the beauty of the chat GPT, which is something that any person in the world can go to. So the beauty of that was that it lit the light bulb that AI is possible. And, and so now everyone's rushing to say, how am I gonna have an AI strategy with my organization? But the risk is that now chat GPT becomes people's doctors because they're going to ask questions to it and it's not, in context learning, it's based on the broad content that exists there. And so there's the, the risk that it makes up stuff that can, can that ultimately can confuse people. Um, so that's that's a, a bit of the risk there. But if you you um, but on, on the other hand, when you ask it for like definition, so we we have something that's that's allowed people to navigate to schedule appointments. And one of the things that we are doing is we're educating the patient on the fly. So when they say, I need to talk to, I need to schedule with a foot doctor, it comes back with a, what is a podiatrist? Or if they say, I have a, let's say a headache, but they might be saying something that they, they don't, it'll give them a definition, but not only does it give a definition, it tells them you typically need a referral. And so it's guiding the patient through this process of scheduling the appointment with the right thing. Those definitions, which we have something in the order of, you know, 
100,000 of them, those come from OpenAI because, and, and they give you, we, we have a health professional that reviews the definitions, but without them, it would be very difficult to do. You know, another example would be, you know, we, what we have for specialties and subspecialties is way broader than what a health system will have. So you have to do a mapping. And so we use OpenAI to say, based on the specialty that the vent, they, uh, they, they have these 200 specialists and we have, let's say, 700, how do we map it to, to when somebody says something about cardiology and the, and the provider just has cardiology as a, as a specialty, but they, we have all these subspecialties. And so we have to map them to cardiology. So those things would have taken a person days to go do that mapping. Now we do it with OpenAI to do the mapping. And what the what ends up happening is then we have a health person review it and see if there's things that we shouldn't map. Like for example, they'll have dentistry and they don't have anything with dentistry. And so we'll try to map these specialties to dentistry and somebody has to say, no, those, those, yeah, those don't really really map. I know OpenAI try to do its best job, but it, it, it doesn't make sense, right? So. Yeah, no, and I think that's great because as you said, you identified the risk, but then controls and means to help address it. And I think that's, unfortunately, going to have to be a great parting thought because believe it or not, we're already out of time. I want to thank my guest, Bill Rogers, for a great conversation today. Thank you, man. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag H-C-D-E-J-U-R-E. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time. 